0: we're back in Colossians. We left off at verse 13 last week. And what we're going to see today is who is Jesus? Uh, Paul in Colossians is going to address six answers to the question of who Jesus is. Now, and that's important because your eternal destiny will be determined by who, what you believe about Jesus Christ. Did you know that? What you believe about Jesus Christ is what's going to get you into heaven. Because the Bible says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And we, we need to believe the right things about Jesus Christ if we're going to be saved. That's why it says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? You'll be saved. That's what you believe about Jesus Christ. Believe in your heart that he's risen from the grave. Believe in your heart that he's your personal Savior and personal Lord. You need to believe the right things about Jesus Christ to be saved. And the church in Colossae that Paul's writing to were having some false teachers come in, and those false teachers were polluting who Jesus Christ was. The false teachers' names were Gnostics, the word uh, Gnostic comes from the Greek word gnosis. It means to know. And they said they had special knowledge about Jesus Christ. And here's what they said Jesus was. They said that Jesus, because all matter is evil, physical bodies are evil, Jesus just came as an emanation from God. He was like a ghost. And when he walked on the shore, the Galilee, seas of Galilee with uh, the disciples, there was no footprints because he was just an emanation from God. The Gnostics also said that Jesus Christ was a created being. A created ghost in a sense. Is that true? No. You know, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And all things came into being through Jesus Christ. He is the creator, not a creation. And so we're going to clarify some of those things. And that's important because a lot of the world has this idea, it doesn't matter what you believe about Jesus. A lot of the world's kind of like Pilate. Remember Pilate when he was addressed what he believed about Jesus? He washed his hands and Jesus and said, I'm, I'm just going to have nothing to do with him. A lot of the world's just saying, I'm just going to wash my hands of Jesus and have nothing to do with them. And you know what? Jesus said, either you're for me or you're against me. You can't have this neutral washing hands place where you have nothing to do with Jesus. Because if you're you're not for him, if you haven't confessed him as as Lord of your life, you're against him. Because the Bible says friendship with the world is enmity with God. And that's our status. All men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And our natural status with Jesus, uh, w- without Him being Lord and Savior, is we are against Him because of our enmity with God, because of our friendship with the world. So we're going to clear some of these things up today, who Jesus is. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, if you dare, say amen. Okay, let's go, church. Ready? It says, For Jesus rescued us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The first thing that Jesus is, according to these verses, is he's, he's our rescuer, number one. He's our rescuer. And He rescues us, notice, from the domain of darkness. The word domain means the grip under the influence of the darkness of the world. The world's a dark place, and it's getting darker, by the way, church. And apart from Christ, we're under its domain But interesting, he not only rescues us from the domain of darkness, he transfers us. He transfers us out of darkness into his kingdom of life. That's why 1 Peter 2, talking about what Jesus has done for us, says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that, in, in you, that you may proclaim the excellencies who's called you. Notice, He's called you out of darkness into His marvelous, marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. You see that? He's rescued us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Interesting, he also says he's given us redemption. What's redemption? It's a buying back. It's a slave term. When you had a family member that got sold into slavery, if you took the right amount of money, you could go to that master of the slave who was your family member, you could pay the price, and you could set him free. What has Jesus done for us? He's, he paid the price on the cross. It is finished, paid in full. And if you believe in him, he's set you free. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He's rescued you, and he's set you free, redeemed you, and then he's brought forgiveness of sins. He's rescued you from your sin. You are a slave to sin. And He's given you freedom and forgiveness of sins now. Paid in full. Jesus rescued us. Have you ever been rescued from something? I, I, I have. I remember one time I was driving to Los Angeles from Chicago to go out to seminary, full of theological seminary, and um, I was broke. I couldn't afford a car, so I had a motorcycle. I bought a motorcycle that summer, and that was going to be my vehicle in Southern California because it nev- never rains in Southern California. There's a song about that, I think. But anyways, so right before I was going to go out to Southern California, I got in a motorcycle accident in a rain situation where my brakes locked and the rain caused me to slide out on the expressway, and I got in the worst accident I've ever had. But three weeks later, four weeks later, I was supposed to go to California. I didn't want to get rid of this motorcycle I just bought. So after I got the stitches out, I still went to California on this motorcycle. It's the one time I had a major ruckus uh, conflict with my my mom. She did not want me to do that. But I did it anyways. And I'm driving through the Missouri plains on my motorcycle. I had all my life belongings on knapsacks on the back of my motorcycle and luggage on the sides. And all of a sudden, the, the storm came. And there was thunderbolts right ahead of me on the plains of missouri and there was i could see the rain coming down so i pull over the side of the road so i rolled put my rain suit on and as i was putting my rain suit on this gentleman stopped with his f-150 truck he pulled off and said hey do you want to ride i started laughing i said yeah i love a ride but what are we gonna do with my motorcycle and he said, I have a son that's got a motorcycle. I'll, we'll, I'll, I, what I'll do is I'll go to this ditch right here, put the hatch down, and put, you put the bike on there. i got bungee cords. We, we'll be good to go. And I said, really? I said, thank you, Lord. And we drove through a three-hour thunderstorm that was just sheets of rain and thunderbolts and everything else. And I talked to, talked to him about God the whole time, and I'm convinced to this day that might have been an angel because he rescued me. Rescued me from a really bad thunderstorm, and there was nowhere to go. It was out in the middle of the plains of Missouri. I was watching a movie with Heidi talk about rescue also the other uh, night. It was a few weeks, a few months ago, actually. It was called Instant Family. I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's Mark Wahlberg. But Mark Wahlberg, is uh, got, him and his wife, are unable to have kids, so they took in foster kids that were all related siblings. These kids were a mess. They had jumped from foster home, from foster home, from foster home. Their life was a mess. And Mark Wahlberg and his wife took them in and not only rescued them, but adopted them. And I was watching that movie, and I was thinking about that, and and then I was thinking about the Scripture this week, and I was thinking, you know, Jesus has rescued us from the storm that we were in before Christ. He's rescued us. He's rescued us from the storm of sin. He's rescued us from darkness. He's rescued us from restlessness. He's rescued us from damnation, eternity in hell. He's rescued us from the storm of all that. But he's also adopted us, hadn't he? He's our rescuer in that. He's brought us into his family. Romans chapter 8 says we are joint heirs with Christ. Romans 8 says that we have a spirit of sonship by which we could cry out, Abba, Father. And God's spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. It's amazing. He's rescued us. He's our rescuer. Can I get an amen for that, church? He's rescued us. He's rescued us from sin. He's rescued us from darkness, the domain of darkness. He's rescued us from judgment. He's rescued us. He's our rescuer. And then it goes on, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, careful with that firstborn of all creation. Jehovah's Witnesses and other groups out there would say that that's an indication that Jesus is a created being, like the Gnostics were saying. Firstborn just simply means this. In that culture, in the Hebrew culture, when you're the firstborn, you're the preeminent person in the family besides the father. You're the one that's going to get the lion's share of inheritance. You're the one that's going to be in charge of the family if the father's gone. You're the one that ran the show because you're the firstborn. What's it say about Jesus? He's preeminent. He's preeminent in all of creation. At his name, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. He is the one that, uh, with the Father, is running the show, running all of creation. We'll see that in just a couple of verses. So, firstborn is just talking about his preeminence. But it says the second thing that we learn about Jesus here is he is the image of the invisible God. Now, why is that important? Because God's invisible. Because we know that First uh, Peter, we, we looked at that last week also, says, and though we have not seen God, you love Him. Though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him, and you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's what faith takes. Faith takes a belief in an invisible God. Faith, Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, it's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of what? Things not seen. That's faith. But one of the things that helps our faith is Jesus. He is the image bearer. That's the second thing. He's a rescuer, but he's the image bearer of the invisible God. And Philip one time said to Jesus, kind of in frustration, he said, Jesus, just show us the Father. Show us God, and then we'll understand this whole thing. Remember what what Jesus said to Philip? He said, Philip, in seeing me, you're seeing the Father. He is the image bearer. He's the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? It means if you're wondering if God is love, look at Jesus. Obviously, God is love based on the life of Jesus. If you're wondering if God is merciful, look at Jesus. Look at how he said to the woman caught in adultery, hey, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. If you're wondering if Jesus is kind, or if God is kind, look at Jesus. Jesus. And it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance in the first place. If you're wondering if 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 God is truth, look at Jesus, who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you're wondering if Jesus is holy or God is holy, look at Jesus. Jesus was holy. He's the only man that ever lived without sin. So Jesus, he's the image bearer of the invisible God. He represents God. Hebrews 1.3, talking about this, says Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's nature. Now, the word image-bearer, the word that he is the image of the invisible God, the word is icon. We get the English word icon from it, and it means stamped, an impression stamped on a coin, And what they would do in that culture, and in our culture today we still do this, we stamp images on coins. And in the Roman culture, they'd stamp the image of the emperor on the Roman coin. And so what it's saying there is Jesus, he's the exact radiance and representation of God, and his image is stamped on Jesus Christ. God's image is stamped on Jesus Christ. So what's interesting too is we're told in Scripture that as we follow Christ, as we believe in Christ, as we have an abiding relationship with Christ, Jesus starts stamping his image more and more upon us. We are all created in God's image, but sin has marred God's image in our life. And our relationship with Christ is bringing the image of God back into our lives. And that's why 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that as we behold Jesus' face in a personal relationship with him, we are being changed from glory to glory into his what? His image, he's the image bearer and he's the one that could bring us back into the image of God. And the beautiful news is we're all in process, we're all Christians under construction, but we can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in us will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And we could also be confident of this too. First, First John 3, 2 tells us there's coming a day where we're gonna see Jesus face to face and then we too will be like him perfectly conformed in his image. Because Romans eight twenty nine tells us we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. I love that. I ain't, I ain't what I'm supposed to be yet. But praise God, I'm not what I used to be. And I'm looking forward to heaven where I'm going to be fully conformed to the image of Christ. And that's who he is. He is the image bearer who imprints his image back, the image of God back into our lives also. He's doing that work. We should all wear a bunch of signs around our necks. It says, Christians under construction. Jesus is doing a work. He's making something beautiful of all of our lives. As we relate to him, he's the image bearer, and he's bringing us back into the image of God also, the image bearer. Now, verse 16, For by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. You know what that's saying? is Jesus and the Father created not only the things we see, but the things we can't see, atoms, molecules, all that was created by Jesus Christ and the Father. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, notice, for him. He is before all things, and in him, all things what? Together. It's an amazing statement about Jesus Christ. First of all, it says, All things were created by Jesus. Did you know that? It wasn't just the Father that created all of the world. It wasn't just the Father that said, Let there be light, and all the lights turned on. It was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It says in Genesis 1 1, the very first verse of the Bible, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word God there in the Hebrew is Elohim, and it's plural. El is singular for God. Ella is dual for God. Elohim is more than two. What's that pointing to? It was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that created everything around us. That's why when man was created, do you remember what the statement was when man was created in Genesis 1 also? It said, let us make man in our image. All things have been created by Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And notice, all things were created by... By him and for him. Life will never be right until you fulfill the reason for your existence, and that's to have an abiding relationship with God through Jesus Christ. All things were created by him and for him. Revelations 4.11 in the King James Version says that God is, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were and are created. You know what that's saying? You are created for God's pleasure. Here's the amazing thing. And what brings God pleasure is for you to have a personal, abiding relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. And when you have that, you're fulfilling the reason for your existence, and you'll have peace, you'll have fulfillment, you'll have joy, because you're firing on all eight cylinders, and you're, spo- you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, and that's having a relationship with the only one who created you by by Christ you were created, and you were created for Christ. Now, also, what's interesting is it says all things will be created by him and for him. Check this out now. And then it says, and he holds all things together. You know, everything in this whole creation is held together by Jesus Christ. Amazing. I was reading this week that we are 93 million miles away from the sun. The earth orbits Around the sun, 93 million miles away. When you see that sun, it's 93 million miles away. And here's another thing we are constantly orbiting around the sun. I don't know why, I would think we'd all be dizzy. But we're 93 million miles away from the sun. And not only that, if we were one degree further away from the sun, we'd all freeze to death. If we were one degree closer to the sun, we'd all melt. Amazing. And Jesus holds us just the right distance orbiting around the sun so we all don't melt or freeze. I was reading this week that uh, two planets that are different degrees away from the sun, Mars. Guess what the temperature on Mars is right now? It's It's a degree further away from the sun. It's minus 200 degrees Fahrenheit. You'd have to have some special kind of, you think it gets cold up in Canada or Alaska. Minus 200 degree, regular temperature on Mars right now. Guess what the temperature in Venus, which is closer to the sun, is right now? 900 degrees Fahrenheit. You think it gets hot here in South (laughs) you Imagine, 900 degrees, just a degree further away from the sun. And Jesus holds all things together. Now, go from the telescope to the microscope. You know that, that within the molecules that make up your human body, there's there, there's atoms and inside the atoms there's nucleuses and those nucleuses have proteins together. The proteins are coexisting within the nucleus of your atoms. And what's amazing is scientists to this day don't know how proteins could coexist within nucleuses because proteins are both positive and you know what they do they they positive forces resist. And there's some kind of atomic glue. The scientists don't know what the atomic glue is, but you know what the atomic glue is that holds all the proteins uh, together within your, nu- your nucleus of your atoms? His name is Jesus. Jesus holds all things together. And listen, he holds our lives together too. And if, you, if your life is fallen apart, if you don't have peace, and your life is a wreck, get back to Jesus. Get back to an abiding relationship with Christ, and he'll hold you together. And get back, too, to the Word. You know, D.L. Moody used to say that, hey, if your life is falling apart, or if your Bible is falling apart, your life probably isn't. You get back in the Word, get back in a abiding relationship with Jesus, and He holds all things together. That's why we're told, Seek ye first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. He holds us together. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He holds all things together. So Jesus is our rescuer. He's our, second thing we learned, he's the image bearer of the invisible God. Third thing is we just learned is Jesus also, hey, he is our creator. All things have been created by him and for him and he holds us all together. Now, next thing, verse 18. He is also the head of the body, the church. And he's the beginning of the firstborn from the dead. Talking about the resurrection. So that he himself will come to have, here it is, preeminence, first place in everything. Next thing we learn about Jesus, He's the head, as we already talked about with, with Him being the firstborn. He is He's the preeminent, well, the preeminent one. He's supposed to have first place in the church, and first place in our lives. First place, first place. You know, I got a pet peeve. I hear some people say, "Well, you know, Calvary Chapel," and I hear them out in the community say something. That, "Oh, that's that's the church. That's John Hoppe's church." No, it's not. This ain't my church. I'm just an under-roar. I'm just a servant in the house of the living God. An under rower is, is the guys that are on the bottom of the ship listening to the orders of the captain and whatever the captain says to do. Yes, sir, we'll go this way, we'll go that way. Jesus is the head of this church. Jesus is the head. Jesus said about the church, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So who's the head of this church? It's Jesus. And as we allow him to lead we as a church are going to be the church that God's called us to be. Amen? He's the leader. We're just under We're just servants of the living God. And also, listen, he's supposed to be ahead of our lives. First in our lives. You want more joy in your lives? Put Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. Let him be preeminent in your life also. And life will make more sense. That's why it says, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. That's why Psalm 37 tells us, delight yourself in the Lord. Let him be first in your life, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. You know, I've heard some people say also, uh, well, I've seen bumper stickers that says, God is my co-pilot. No, he's not. I don't want anything to do with being a co-pilot with God. I want God to be the pilot. I just want to be in the back seat and let him have the steering wheel. Because whenever I take over the steering wheel, Life gets messy. It gets a lot of brick walls you run into when you're driving. But when I allow Jesus to have the, have the wheel, I allow him to be not the co-pilot, the pilot. And I allow him to lead. And I trust in him with all my heart. I lean down on my own understanding. I just acknowledge him and let him be first. Man, he makes my path straight. Life gets good. Life is blessed. Amen? Jesus, let him be the head not only of this church, but of your life. Let him be preeminent, and he'll bless. He will bless. And then it goes on, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Now the word fullness, it's talking about Godhead. It's talking about deity. How do I know that? Chapter 2, the very next chapter, similar verse says this, uh, um, chapter 2, verse 9. For in Jesus, all the fullness of deity, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. What is this telling us about Jesus? He's not only the rescuer. He's not only the image bearer. He's not only the uh, creator. He's not only the head, but He's God. He's God. You know those guys that come to your door on Saturdays with the white shirts and the black ties—the Jehovah Witnesses or the Mormons—what makes them a false teaching group is if you really get down to the bottom line with them, they don't believe Jesus is God. They believe he's a son of God like we're sons of God, but they believe he's a created being like the Gnostics believed, and they don't believe that he is the creator God. And you know what? They'll even tell you. The false teaching groups out there will tell you. They'll tell you this. Jesus never claimed to be God. The Bible never says that Jesus is God. Really? Really? I'll give you a, let me give you a whole arsenal of scriptures that'll tell you Jesus claimed to be God. John. Great the greatest book in the Bible, I think the whole book points to the deity and the Godhead of Jesus Christ. John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus speaking, it says, I and the Father are A pretty clear statement of Jesus is God. I and the Father are one. John eight fifty eight, truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. What's the name for God? I am. Jesus said, I was pre-existent. I was existing before Christ was, or before Abraham was even born, and I am, statement that Jesus Christ claims to be God. God. John chapter 20, verse 28. It says, Thomas answered and said to, Je- uh, to Jesus, this is Thomas' statement: My Lord and my God. Jesus didn't reprimand him for that. Jesus didn't correct him. Jesus said to Thomas, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those who did not see and yet believed. Clear statement. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus received that because that's who he was. Matthew chapter 28, verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came and took hold of Jesus' feet. And they worshipped Jesus. Why did Jesus let let them worship him? Because he's God. And they, they worshiped him as God. Titus 2 12 to 13 says this instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory, notice, of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. What's that tell us about Jesus? He's not only Savior, he's God. He's God. God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word, Jesus, was God. And the Word became flesh. He dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. Glory of the only God from the Father. Full of grace. Truth. He's God. Don't let anybody ever tell you He's not God. And I've heard that Thomas Jefferson, one of our forefathers for our nation. He wasn't a Christian. He was a deist. And as a deist, what he believed is God just stays up there and we stay down here. He has nothing to do with us. We have nothing to do with him. And that's fine, which isn't true at all. God's omnipresent, omniscient. He's omnipotent and he wants a lot to do with us. He wants a relationship with us. But I've heard that Thomas Jefferson, if you go to the Smithsonian uh, Museum in Washington, D.C., had his Bible still there. And he had a Bible that there's parts of his Bible he didn't like. So you know what he did with his Bible and the parts he didn't like? He cut holes. And he, had a, he had a very holy Bible. Literally. And the parts of his Bible he didn't like, he just cut them out. If you say Jesus isn't God, you're going to have to have a holy Bible too. You're going to have to cut out all these scriptures we've just been reading, that Jesus is God. And that's why at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every, every tongue is going to confess one day that Jesus Christ is Lord because Jesus, he's God. Amen? Let's close it up now. The last thing we learn about Jesus Christ, he's also a reconciler. Look what it says there in verse 20. And through Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Reconciled us. What does reconciliation mean? It means when you take two parties that are at odds, Two parties that are at war, and someone takes them and brings them and brings peace between those parties. When I think of reconciliation, I think of all the van trips that the Heidi, Hop- Heidi Hoppe and John Hoppe used to take with their four kids when they were little, especially preschool and elementary age. I remember we would get to go to Chicago. Every Christmas we would leave at 4.30 in the morning, and we'd drive all the way straight through 13 and a half hours to Chicago to have Christmas dinner with my parents and my sister and brother-in-law I remember that last hour or two before we get to Chicago, there was civil war in the Hoppy family in that van. I remember, it's, you, you moms know what I'm talking about, right? Get preschoolers, elementary age kids to have to sit in a vehicle enclosed for 13 hours. You're going to have some problems by the end of that trip. And I remember, I remember we get close to Indiana, close to Chicago, and, and especially my two middle kids, David and Jennifer, man, they were at each other's throats. They were at odds with one another. And we oftentimes we'd have to pull the van over to the side of the road and we would have to threaten child abuse. To, no, we wouldn't do that. But we would say, hey, there's going to be a spanking here if you guys don't start reconciling, get along here. And not only that, we're going to do the mute button right now. You know what the mute button is, like your remote control on the TV? We'd say, okay, mute. The last hour of this trip, no one says a word. Peace. For the last hour, it was just... Peace. And there was reconciliation because they knew that the fear of the board of education going to their seat of understanding. And there was reconciliation and there was peace. We were alienated from God, friends of the world at enmity with God. And Jesus not only rescued us, he reconciled us. He brought through our faith in him, he brought us to a place of justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace, peace. It's amazing. It's no, one of the greatest treasures we have, rewards we have in Christ, is we're no longer at odds with God. I remember before Christ having that feeling instinctively, I wasn't right with God, and if something was going to happen to me, I wouldn't be right with God in the eternity either. And then I remember coming to Christ. And when I came to Christ, I remember all of a sudden, I'm not at odds with God anymore. There's peace. I'm not alienated from the one who created me. There's peace. And that's one of the things that Jesus does. The last thing on our list is Jesus is our reconciler. He takes us from an alienated state with God. And through the blood of the cross, he washes us from our sin. And we get reconciled, reconciled to God. Interesting, in our office over here, we have this picture. I think we got it from the thrift store. And it's, uh, it's uh, the picture, I think, uh, in the Sistine Chapel in Rome where you have the finger of God coming through the clouds and connecting with the finger of man. And it's a picture of reconciliation through the clouds. And what makes us, with the finger of man, being able to touch the finger of God in a personal relationship? It's Jesus. He's our reconciler. He's the one that's brought us and he's brought God's hand into our hand and now we have fellowship with the holy God because Jesus, even though we're alienated because of our sin, has now, whoo, he's now reconciled us with the holy God. It's amazing, amazing that people like us, sinners like us, can be reconciled with the Holy God. And it even says in Jude 23 and 24, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before the Holy One, blameless and with great joy. You're reconciled. You know, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, Jesus has now, through your faith in him, become your advocate. Literally translated, your attorney. Because he is the propitiation of, For your sins. The word propitiation means this. It means he is the satisfaction for God's righteous requirement because of his death on the cross for your sins. He's become the satisfaction for God's righteous requirements, and that's how he's become a reconciler. Amen, church. So what do we learn about Jesus this morning? What, What does the scriptures clearly say about Jesus Christ? Six things were taught through Colossians on Jesus. He's He's our rescuer. And he's rescued us from darkness and sin and slavery. And he's set us free. He's rescued us. Number two, he's the image bearer of who? Of God, the invisible God. Number three, he is the creator. All things have been created by him and for him. And he holds all things together. He's the sustainer of that creation also. Number number four, he is the head. The head of what? the head of the body, the church, and the head of us. He is to have first place in all things. Number five, he is God. He's God. He and the Father are one. He's God. And number six, lastly, he's the reconciler. Hmm. He's brought peace between sinful human beings and a holy God through his death on the cross. And when he said, it is finished, Paid in full, it was. And the blood of Jesus has the ability to cleanse us from all our sin and to make us right with the Holy God and to present us before the Father blameless, blameless and with great joy. Amen, church? What a Savior. What a Savior. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you that your word points us to Jesus Christ. And you say in your word, Father, that when Jesus is lifted up, all men will be drawn unto Him. And so, Father, help us to continue as a church and as Christians, lifting up Jesus and, and believing in the Jesus of the Scriptures. Help us not to give way to this world that's polluting who Christ is. Help us to stick with your Word, and your Word says clearly from what we've seen this morning that Jesus Christ is our rescuer. He is the image bearer. He's the creator. He's the head. He is God, and he's the reconciler, Lord. So let's stick, help us to stick with what your word says about Jesus Christ and not budge with the world around us that is budging in this, Lord. And Father, forgive us for those times where we don't shine brightly for you, God. Help us to be people that are continuing to walk close with Jesus Christ so he could be changing us from glory to glory into the image of God. Father, help us to be people that are prioritizing time with you, prioritizing church, prioritizing our devotions, uh, prioritizing times in your presence so you could be keeping us in that position where you're changing us from glory to glory into your image. Father, thank you for this time that we could just study Jesus and learn more about him. Help us to represent him well even this week. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen.